Welcome back to Chainsaw Matinee. Everybody take your seats. We have such sights to show you. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. And I'm... Oh, oh, I'm being lifted out of my seat. That's right. Uh, oh, I'm being uh, carried. I'm, I'm being carried, y'all. Uh, I'm off to the lagoon. Uh, oh, no. Uh, oh, oh, no. no. Oh, no. I was oh, gonna say God. the guy carrying you is a—he's kind of hot. Um, okay, I'm just gonna I'm let that happen. Home. Yeah, guys, let this play out. I want to see where it goes. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Anyway, I'm Hannah. He said we're gonna we're gonna reschedule for next Tuesday. I told him I had a thing, but I'm optimistic. Cool. Cool. <laughs> Excellent. Lucky. What a lucky Goyle. <laughs> so. Today, we are continuing our uh, October series on the Universal Monster Movies with Creature from the Black Lagoon. So, last time we covered the Wolfman, we are jumping forward in time again to 1954. So, in a way, it's like kind of cool to see how this, um, how these movies have changed throughout the decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You see what tropes kind of evolved and shaped and how the different fears of the time um, were either strengthened as, you know, the war progressed and which fears were kind of cast aside. I feel like this is the most, um, I don't, I don't think conservative is the right word, but it's the most archetypal in terms of its characters of this is the man and this is the woman and they will breed and there's the creature. Yes. We must kill the creature because it is a sexual deviant. <laughs> Pretty much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, very 1950s for sure. Um, this Absolutely. is also like in the middle of a big sci-fi boom. So this director, Jack Arnold, some of his other films include The Incredible Shrinking Man, It Came From Outer Space, and Tarantula. Tarantula! He he very much focuses on, like, that kind of silly, campy, classic science fiction horror Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Which is very fun. It's definitely a vibe that I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like really interesting and campy and fun. Yeah, and it's kind of cool. This is um after the age of Jack Pierce, and this monster was actually designed by Millicent Patrick, who was kind of erased from history, but she was really the responsible party for what the way the creature looks and how iconic. Um, the creature from the black, the black yeah. lagoon has become. So I think I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool too. And um, she was a Disney animator. I read, which is yeah, also, the first like, really woman Disney animator, actually. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So shout out to her because she did an amazing job. Like this creature design is iconic, and 
um you know also like just shout outs to the makeup artists and um actually the person who made the bodysuit he specialized in making prosthetics for amputees from world war Two. so i thought that was like pretty cool yeah jack kevin i believe was his name or kevon something yeah like that. Um, so, really awesome stuff, and I think that this, I mean, I I guess, like, it depends on what your standards are. I think the costume looks really good yeah, and really cool. I'm sure there's some people who would say, like, oh, it looks cheesy or whatever, but I think it looks good. I think it holds up. Well, I think a- for the time period in which the suit was created, it definitely stands the test of time, like... Looking at it now, like the the like the sculpting and stuff is like so it's like incredibly masterful. And even if some people think it's cheesy, I don't think that they can deny that it, you know, is incredibly detailed and you know a lot of work went into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I think that's something that's really been. Correct me if you can think of a modern example of like an iconic movie monster, but honestly. I feel like most movie monster designs today aren't especially thrilling or memorable. Like, the one I'm thinking of right now is the one from A Quiet Place, and I just, it it's like a yeah. discount Demogorgon, which even the Demogorgon itself, I think, is fine. Like, it's memorable enough, but even then, I'm not, like, thrilled of, of, to see it the way I love looking at the Gill Man, or I love looking at Frankenstein, or the Wolfman, or the Mummy, or those classic movie monsters Mm -hmm. i feel like that's just kind of not as prevalent nowadays so even if people want to say like oh it's silly it's this guild man it's like you don't understand it's iconic it stays in your conscious mind and it lives there forever the movie did its Mm -hmm. job also the scene where his gills like breathe they built like a Mm -hmm. special head for the the gills to kind of breathe i thought that was really cool actually yeah they just pumped air into bladders that would like push those little bits out when he was breathing it's very cool yeah i thought that was really cool too um i like so because we again we found a documentary about the behind the scenes of this film they talk about how there are two different actors who played the gill man so they had ben chapman playing him on land and riku browning playing him underwater Mm -hmm. and they told some like funny stories because of course it's a horribly long process and it's really hot when you're wearing that costume on set and it's a little bit scary when you're like wearing it underwater so shouts out to them for doing an amazing job mm-hmm. um, there was like, a you um tell uh, the movements of the creature it has so much personality and it is mm-hmm. all thanks to those actors yeah and um there was a an anecdote about wearing the suit that uh, Rico Browning um, told. He was like, they they kept trying to figure out ways to like, like put goggles on or like a respirator, and they just couldn't figure it out. So he just did it bare eyed. Like he doesn't have anything on underneath the mask. To yeah, like, no breathing devices, sh- no goggles, no nothing. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really funny is he told a story, because they're filming a lot of this in, like, Florida, which you can tell when you watch the movie, Marty, and yeah. I were just like, uh, that's Florida. This is the, um, yeah, this is the Everglades. 
Yeah, so there was a like a ton of turtles and stuff in the water when they're filming this, and he said that one day during filming, a snapping turtle bit the foot off of the Killman costume. Oh no! And he like went chasing after the turtle to try to get it back. That was actually for the second movie, but yeah. <laughs> well, and it's really funny we talk about like how quote unquote ri- ridiculous some people might like the costume is today, because at the time I think they were gonna show the creature a little more sparingly. Because he doesn't appear until about, mm, I want to say, a third of the way through the movie, kind of building the tension. But apparently the studio wanted more shots of the Gilman because that suit was really expensive. Yeah. So they were like, put more Gilman in It also looks fucking cool. You should just show it off the whole time. Hot. Sex appeal, baby. Gotta have it. (laughs) Right? Absolutely. Even though this film was made with a little bit more of 50s politics, it is very sexual Mm -hmm. yeah well i think you can look at it in different lights which we'll get into as we talk about the film so we should give a quick rundown of the plot of this movie which is again extremely simple yeah Mm -hmm. so um it's uh like a a team of like scientists specifically ichthyologists um who go to I think the Amazon, right? And they're yeah. um they're like looking for like some rare species of something. Well, they found a fossil of a skeletal hand with webbed fingers. And mm. so they think it might lead to finding some sort of like evolutionary link between land and sea animals. Um so this is uh Dr. Carl Dr. Carl Maya is um, a geologist, and he's the one who finds the fossils, so then he goes to get his friend, who's the ichthyologist, Dr. Reed, and um, Dr. Reed, like, is, I think they're looking for a rare type of fish, and so they agree to go out together to look for the rest of the skeleton, and... um, they hire like a boat captain to take them and then um there's also dr mark williams who's like how is he oh yeah he was david's boss yeah so he's kind carl of a financial david. guy yeah carl david mark and then mark's girlfriend k or no David's girlfriend, Kay. Sorry. Um, so they all set out on this expedition, and along the way, things start going wrong. They keep getting attacked. Their camp keeps getting attacked. And they soon start talking about, like, well, the locals have this legend about a creature and, like, supposedly there's this part of the Amazon called the Black Lagoon where no one's ever come back from. And they decide, ah, we're just gonna go there anyway. And, um, the Gill Man causes havoc. And, like, long story short, the creature becomes enamored with Kay and tries to drag her off to his little home, his little cave. But then the... Other guys and then they all kill him. Up. Yeah, and kill him. And mm-hmm. his bleeding body sinks to the to the bottom of the river. 
and it's very sad. Yeah. So unless you like, canonically again, count I... Return of the Creature from the Black Lagoon in the sequel that they made, and then he's back, baby. Yeah. He's fine. Yeah. So surface level, like very simple. Really, a lot of this film is just suspense scenes of the creature like swimming around and creeping around their boat. Mm-hmm. So we did get a lot of the creature in this film, which I'm happy for because he has so mm-hmm. much personality. And um, I think like there's there's just going to be two kinds of people in the world, right? Like there's the people who watch it and think, oh, he's scary. And then there's the people who watch it and think, oh, he's adorable. Mm-hmm. And I I can't speak for like the quote unquote normal people, but I think <laughs> he's adorable. And I, I don't see how you adorable. could watch this movie and not absolutely love him. Even so in the we documentary, the actress who plays like the love interest, she's like, it's his love dance. He just loves her so much. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's so hard not to kind of love this guy. Yeah. yeah. And like with the way the story is, like they came to his home and they're like, just fucking shit up. Yeah. He has a right to be mad. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I've brought up before how in this time period, a lot of these films were very much about, like, fear of the other and, like, fear Mm -hmm. of foreigners. And and so you could make the argument that that's what this, that's the fear that this movie is embodying of, like, oh, we're going to this creepy jungle and the amazon in another country and there's this creepy creature and we don't know what it is but i think you could really view it from the creature's perspective and um think about it from like his perspective of like oh these strange people are encroaching on his space and the way it's performed he never really comes off as like that creepy or like gross it's more just that he's curious yeah and then when these people start attacking him then of course he's gonna like fight back and like even his infatuation with Kay, like it's not like lecherous or like weird it's just he's just like oh hi like it's really kind of sweet he kind of just picks her up and takes off with her but like you know i don't think he understands that like you know she doesn't want to go, you know? I see it more as, like, a yeah. Pokemon thing than a a, a, a a very bad thing, if that makes sense. Like, I don't see him yeah. as, like, going in with the... In- at least, it doesn't feel in the movie... Like you said, lecherous intent. It doesn't feel like it's gonna be turned into a oh no scene. It's just kind of like, oh. Yeah. yeah. And I think that a lot of us, we've talked... Like we've talked about in the previous two episodes... If you are a marginalized person, you're just, I, at least in my case, like, I just relate so much to this creature. Because, like, you don't, you're not really given very much backstory at all about what he is. All that we're told is really that he's, like, this ancient species that is possibly the link between land and sea animals. And he can swim and and breathe on land. And you never see, like, is, are there more of him? Does he have, like, a culture? Is he the only one? Is he alone? Like, that's really sad to think, like, oh, wow, he's really lonely. What if there were more and they died out? Like, mm-hmm. your mind just starts going. And mm-hmm. so I just feel for him. I'm like, oh, he's just alone in a swamp. Of course he wants friends. And yeah. a cute girlfriend. And 
Or maybe he just wants to be left alone and these people are in his space. So yeah. I have such trouble I, with these these movies sometimes because I do think there is this innate understanding of the loneliness and the tragedy and the unfairness of being othered. But then it also peppers in some other stuff that I'm like, oh, okay. Like most of the death count in this movie is uh, n- not white people. So that's not yeah. fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I Yeah. But it's kind of one of those again, things where like, they both coexist together. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, I think that you can definitely, like, there is a level of interpretation that you can have when viewing the creature itself. I will say, though, this movie does have an attitude toward other cultures that is not great. Yeah. I would say mm-hmm. it is not very respectful of South American cultures. Mm-hmm. So, like, that is inarguably a part of this film which is something to definitely grapple with and it's just unfortunate again a lot of horror movies reflect what the fears of the time were and unfortunately in this time period a lot of people were afraid of other cultures because that's scary and i don't understand it and yeah um, and there's also like a resurgence of that kind of um mindset of manifest destiny in a way like we like you know we don't like this from your culture therefore you need to change it into ours well and it's especially Um, fascinating there's a lot of the cia going on during that time period in south america so yeah well and especially coming from the wolfman where it felt like we were allied with um the romani people who were who were trying to help and everything now it feels you definitely feel the sense of superiority where like the americans are definitely the ones like leading the charge and going forward and the captain's just kind of there to be a sidekick and you're like oh uh. yeah all the people of yeah. color are like written to be like cowards and stuff and uh yeah it's frustrating absolutely mm-hmm. yeah so I do think it's worth mentioning because this movie now is so linked to the shape of water. Yeah, you know I mean? shape but of water. That should be something we bring up. So obviously this film did really well at the box office. It was actually filmed in 3D because I guess there was a big 3D trend at the time, which yeah, is funny it was because it's a it way just, to like, differentiate TV and film and like to yeah, get people to go which is to the funny because that like came back in the 2010s kind of. Yeah. but i thought that was pretty interesting so apparently there's been a lot of directors who have tried to do remakes of this and none of them have happened yet so john landis john carpenter and guillermo del toro among others have attempted to Um, do a remake um also ivan reitman back in yes uh, like the mid 90s was tied to a, a remake of the movie and then it just never happened yeah, so when Guillermo del Toro's remake didn't work out, he decided just to write his own script. So The Shape of Water was inspired by this film because when he watched it as a child, he really wanted to see the Gill Man and Kay have a successful romance. So of course. <laughs> wrote a movie in which a woman has a romance with a fish person, and I think he understands like the the ethos of this film, of like that it's not 
very respectful of other cultures, so he tries really hard with The Shape of Water to, like, make it about marginalized people. Yeah. He has characters um, of color, characters who are gay, characters who are who have disabilities, and they all are given a a voice, so to speak, and a presence mm-hmm. within the yeah. story. And um, it's it's kind of beautiful. It's very beautiful. I mean, it won Best Picture. It did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I do think that that is a great legacy to come from this movie. That now mm-hmm. like. And this is what I always say about, like, H.P. Lovecraft's work as well. Because H.P. Lovecraft, great writer, terrible person. He was extremely racist. So my favorite thing now when people approach adapting his work is to kind of turn it on its head. And, like, now there are marginalized creators who are adapting Lovecraft's work and changing the narrative to be more empathetic. And I love Craft Country. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really wonderful that, you know, you can, you don't have to remake the film, but you can still turn it into something of your own that is inspired by the original. So I think that's really beautiful. Yes, I agree. And I love movies. (laughs) I love it too. And really, so I I think that they consider this the last universal horror film, right? Like, in the canon. I mean, I obviously so, there's sequels yeah. to this one, but, like, the last creature to be introduced, more or less. Yeah, it kind of it's... revitalized the creature feature um, genre of horror more than anything. Kind of like the, the the thing from outer space and, like, giant tarantulas, uh, the 50-foot woman, I think, came afterwards. It kind of inspired that mm-hmm. wave of films, but as for, like the monster itself being the focal point. Yeah, I think this was pretty much the last of the universal monsters to come through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's also just interesting to note. Okay, I have a super dumb question that doesn't have anything to do with anything. You guys remember the Monsters DreamWorks movie, right? Uh Oh, yeah. Monsters, versus, monsters aliens? versus Aliens? That's it. Yes, who played uh-huh. the missing link in that one? Because he's there. Oh. The fish man is there. Oh. I tried- don't remember. I remember Seth Rogen was Bob the, the blob. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was also the fifties too. Yeah, that was around the the time the creature of the Black Lagoon came out too, right? Yeah, and all the so. monsters from that movie are inspired by monsters from the 50s and like that time period because there's like the fly um but he's like a cockroach scientist um creature from the black (gasps) lagoon the blob the 50 foot woman who is it it's will arnett oh (laughs) wonderful i love that i was like i knew it was some something anyway thank you for my tangent (laughs) jimmy kimmel who is Jimmy Kimmel? Insectosaurus? I guess he just made... Uh, was he just the big boy? He just, like, yelled? <laughs> I guess. Okay. Jeez. That's kind of like them hiring Neil Patrick Harris to voice the monkey and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> That's so funny. So yeah, this isn't as an impactful legacy as um, Shape of Water, but you know, Will Arnett as the yeah. missing link, he's there. <laughs> it's a... He's there. 
yes. fair. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, how do you guys feel emotionally about this film? Do you feel any stronger or any differently compared to the other movie monsters we've watched so far? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really that... like this one, but I feel like I don't like it as much as a narrative as the other ones. Yeah, I feel like it is missing a lot of the heart of the other films that we watch. Because there's really not that much, like, emotion in this movie, other than, like, oh no, I hope he doesn't kill the pretty girl. But I do think that just on a technical level, this is a beautiful film. Like, the way it's shot, the black and white cinematography, the creature design. Mm -hmm. So I mean, they I shot like... underwater, they had a lot more dynamic, yeah. like, so I think, like, like seeing film the... shots. Yeah, the camera work on this, mm -hmm. I would say, is probably better, but... As far as story and characters, I would have to go with some of the older films. Yeah, the um, the human characters in this, I think, don't really stand out as much in this one. Um, and like with the Wolfman, and with um, like Frankenstein, at least you you have um, like other characters that you know have more important roles in the story than just kind of fighting the monster, you know? Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, with, um, like, you have, like, Henry Frankenstein in, in Frankenstein. He's, like, a really important character. He feels like a character, and, you know, you have, um, Larry Talbot, Who's who is the monster, but like he's got more going on besides like being a monster, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And this one, just like there's not a lot of character. This is this is definitely more of a like, uh, look at this scary monster, and now we're gonna kill it kind of movie instead of a like a character movie. I will say there are two characters that I. One I, I liked because I'm always kind of looking for this in female characters. I like that she was a scientist. She was competent. She knew what she yes. was talking about. She didn't mm -hmm. always agree with the male yeah. characters. Out of, out of all of the characters, I feel like she she stands out the most, like, out of all of the characters yeah. in the movie. Yeah. And then I, I actually... Think, yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I agree. Oh, cool. We agree. Um, and then there was another article that made me look um, twice at the character of, I believe his name is Mark? Max? Mark. Mark. Yes. Um, so the article is called Forget the Babadook, the Creature from the Black Lagoon is the True Gay Icon by Eric Langberg on his blog. Um, it was written in 2017 where he kind of analyzes the movie um, and kind of shows Mark as, like, a projection of a man maybe wrestling with certain feelings. Like, in the film, whenever David wants to dive into the water, Mark always wants to follow him. In the movie, it's shown for greedy reasons, but he's constantly begrudging the fact that there's a woman on the trip. 
And they even go so far as to read into it that he develops this obsession with wanting to kill the creature. And this author kind of posits that maybe it's because the creature is unabashedly living this other existence outside of the binary and the norm. And this character is just very frustrated with it and is taking out his aggression. He's also always holding a harpoon at like waist level. So there's a lot of phallic imagery <laughs> there. And like whenever the two couples are getting all coupley, he's like why you gotta be so domesticated so it's it's it made me look kind of twice at that character i still don't i still find him very you know frustrating in that regard but i i appreciate this author made me look twice at him and and of course i always appreciate a queer reading of anything so yeah yeah that's really cool i will have to put a link to that article in our show notes yeah i will send it to you yeah, so I was looking at some of the credits. So Julie Adams, who was the one of the leads in this film, I guess she went on to be on Murder, She Wrote, which is kind of <gasps> fun. Oh, yeah. R.P. Angela Lansbury. Yeah. Yeah. I was really sad to hear about that. Because we just were talking about her on our yeah. episode about um, Company of Wolves. Yeah. Yeah. And she was, of course, um, also Mrs. Lovett on Broadway, um, one of the best, if not the best, horror mu- horror musicals out there. So she was iconic in the role, and she's iconic as Mrs. Potts. She's just iconic. She is. Mm-hmm. She's very iconic. You thought you were listening to Creature from the Black Lagoon? No, this is an Angela Lansbury podcast now. <laughs> we have to get yeah. shout-outs. Absolutely. I wonder what other horror movies she's in. She's got to be in more, right? I mean, she probably is. This is interesting. So I'm looking at Richard Denning next, who was one of the other leads. I guess he ended up marrying the lead actress from The Wolfman, Evelyn Ankers. Interesting. That's cool. Good for them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I know uh, for the past few... uh, Oh, shoot. I, I just lost it. I was going to say, for the past few uh, Universal movies, I've been listing quotes that I felt like kind of summed up what the what the films were trying to say with their fears and how the monsters represented their fears. And there's this interesting opening sequence where we see a lot of shots of rushing water and landscapes being formed, and it kind of goes over the the creation of the world and how this creature might have come to be. And it's interesting that this movie takes a much more environmental angle than horror or really cinema up till that point had taken. And it does seem like there is a consciousness of how these people are fucking up the planet as well as this creature, which hadn't really been talked about up till that point, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And there is like a, a scientific understanding more so, like, I guess you kind of have that in Frankenstein, but the Wolfman, it's very, like, mythical and spiritual versus, like, in this movie, everything's very scientific and they're trying to look at this creature as, like, a scientific oddity, which I do think is just interesting. It kind of shows, I guess, what our mindset was as a society. I mean, now in the 1950s, the United States is racing against every other country just we gotta be the best of course and make all these 
scientific developments and um oftentimes it's at the expense of marginalized people who are just trying to mind their own business yep <laughs> yeah. yeah um there was an anecdote in the little documentary that we watched about how there's like shots that like kind of overarching kind of tell that narrative of like environmentalism um because there's a shot of um what is the woman scientist's name again i forgot hey, right k okay yeah, so there's a shot of k and she's smoking a cigarette and she just like throws it into the water when she's done with it and it cuts to below the water and the the creature is like watching her do this and then immediately in the next shot they're showing them poisoning the water hoping to hoping to you know kill the creature with the poison but it's really just destroying all of the native life in the water mm -hmm. and it's like all of those shots together are just like oh yeah these people are not supposed to be here and they're fucking things up for you know the native population there of mm -hmm. both animals and people. Yeah. There were a couple quotes in the film that I feel like kind of capture that idea of nature being um, an unexplored thing that man has kind of foolishly either destroyed or tainted somehow. Um, they kind of talk about how space and the ocean are essentially the great unexplored areas of mankind. Uh, but in the opening mm -hmm. monologue, I would say I like this quote um, the best. In infinite variety, living things appear and change and reach the land, leaving a record of their coming, of their struggle to survive, and of their eventual end. The record of life is written on land where 15 million years later, in the upper reaches of the Amazon, man is still trying to read it. So it, to me, it kind of captures this sense of mankind's curiosity being its greatest asset, but also its greatest detriment, where, yes, mm -hmm. as we explore these things, we are inevitably going to either fuck with it or be overwhelmed by it. And it's, it's kind of fascinating in that way. Because, yeah, you think about how much of the ocean is unexplored, and you look at some of the fish they find down there, and it's some sort of Lovecraftian, beyond-description shit. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like it. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I vibe with it, but it's also scary as hell. It is. It is. Jellyfish are so strange. I love them. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because, like, there is something so appealing about this fish man, and maybe that's that's why he is. He's this gap between the known and the unknown, the missing link, so to speak. And yeah, it's it's almost comforting to know that something so unfamiliar and alien can be humanized and deemed adorable, as we have deemed him. The scene where he's like yes. stuck in the cage, he looks so sad. He does. I know. <laughs> also, the oh, amount of times I thought this boy was dead in the film was a couple. I didn't expect, like... And then I love the when 50 movies do the thing where after the creature is dead, they just get the fuck out of there. They don't mince meat. They don't waste time. They're like, well, he's dead. 
End of movie. The end. Here's his corpse. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, well, he's dead. We don't have to really show anything else. We got we got the important thing out of the way. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. think it was I mean, smart of them. They understood why people were there. We were not there to see Kay as much as I love her. We were here to see the creature. We saw yeah. him. We ain't gonna yeah. see him no more. He's dead. Yeah. yeah. But the ending does leave the movie open for another... For a sequel. So yeah. I believe... Didn't they also say that like one of the sequels was Clint Eastwood's first film? Yeah, he's yeah. in, I think, Return of the Creature, just, like, as a background scientist. Which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Because now he's making, like, fucking cry macho and shit. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, part of me wishes he had stuck to creature features, but part of me is glad he doesn't really touch that genre, because I just don't like him as a director or writer. Or really as a person. Yeah. <laughs> Well, do we have more to say about Creature from the Black Lagoon? Um, I feel like there's not really a lot to say about this just because there's the plot is so simple and, you know, there's, you know, it's quite easy to figure out, like, what they're trying to say from this. Mm -hmm. Um, overall, I feel like it's, I don't know, there's not as much meat there as the older universal monster movies yeah yeah it takes from its predecessors um while giving i will say one thing i wanted to talk about this movie and the other ones too is the texture of this movie is so distinct in that it's like mm -hmm. makes the most of its setting the same way the other films do where this one feels tropical this one feels pardon my phrasing it feels wet it feels hot you feel the heat you You're feel correct, it's, though, it is wet yeah you feel it's the setting of wet. this it's creepy and wet you feel it's setting so distinctly in the amazon it's such a stark contrast to the the dark woods that feel cold and foggy of the wolfman or the the castle in the village of frankenstein that feels so european and different and like that is something i really come to appreciate about these um universal monsters is each of them has such a distinct setting and a distinct texture from each other so that when you pair them up side mm -hmm. by side they don't just blend together they all have different colors that complement each other so i i really appreciate that about these films but kind of like marty said the the message is so abundantly clear um yeah but I do love what it yeah. inspired. Shape of Water is uh, very near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. And I love Doug Jones as the swamp guy. <laughs> yeah. I am yeah, kind of bummed. such an amazing job. Yeah, I am kind of bummed. They had a different design for the creature. I like the one we got, but they said they might... He was a little smoother, a little more eel-like rather than gilly. And um, they said they might have used the design in a sequel where he got a girlfriend, which I think would have been really funny. <laughs> then Are you talking about the Gill Man? 
Yeah, the gill man suit. They had like another one that was a little smoother that they were maybe potentially going to use in a sequel where he he found a girl. Bride a of Gillman. Bride of Gillman, which like I just would have loved to see that underwater. It would have been like Wally in that you have to make these two fall in love, but neither of them can speak. So what what do you do? And I love it that. It would have been amazing. I just have this picture of both of them with their big mouths just kind of cocking their head to the side and then just doing a little water dance and then they kiss. And I think that's very cute. They ended up kind that's of using that design in the shape of water because he is very sleek um, rather than gilly. I do remember yeah, also... Yeah, he's definitely got some gills. Mm-hmm. I remember also in the documentary, because it is available on YouTube if um, our listeners want to check it out... Um, there is a guy who's like, well, we don't know if he wants to mate with this woman or what. Um, how would that even work? It's not feasible. And Guillermo del Toro must have written down that question because he has an answer. He thought about how fish anatomy works and he has what you are craving. Fish dick. That's (laughs) what you're craving, right? Am I right? That, that fish, that fishy dick. Maybe you're not wrong. Well, call me pescatarian. Oh my fucking <laughs> no, <I'm> god! <laughs> oh, that was bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> that got me. Oh, but Kyla, what about you? Any Okay. Um, I'm glad this movie exists because it led to The Shape of Water. But I do think it's a good film on its own. It's like fun to watch. But I would say it doesn't hold up as much as some of the other Universal horror movies. I would love to see a remake, though. Although, again, yes. I think The Shape of Water is basically the best version of that. Yep. Yeah. Um, the one thing, though, they don't show it in this one, but in the sequel, um, Return of the Creature, where they, they like kind of capture him and study him, there's... Um, a part where they just like start shocking him with a cattle prod which Guillermo del Toro took directly from that sequel and put it into uh, The Shape of Water which is uh, great I, I, you can yeah. tell a lot of like what was originally from this series went into The Shape of Water and at some point I do feel like we need to cover The Shape of Water um, mm-hmm. and just like compare these two a little bit more and like notice the things that he's sprinkled in for the universal movie lovers like himself yes and even if it's not a straight up quote-unquote horror movie i think without horror movies the shape of water would not exist exactly definitely all right well thank you once again to all of our listeners who are tuning in we will be back next week with Dracula, the Ooh. first of the Universal Monster canon. And I'm yes. extremely excited to talk about that. I love that we're like going from the last to the first monster, like in this Universal Monster. Age. Yeah. That's, that turned out really well. Yeah. yeah. I think it'll be nice to, to jump back in time again and look at the beginning of everything. So if you yeah. would like to get updates from us, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Chainsaw Matinee. We also have a Patreon, so if you appreciate what we do, um, please consider thinking about donating. Our tiers start at just $2 a month, 
and you get all sorts of cool rewards, like bonus episodes. Marty and I watched Halloween Ends earlier today, <coughs> so we will probably do a bonus of just our reactions to that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so if any of that interests you, feel free to come subscribe to our Patreon. We always appreciate donations that are tossed our way. It helps us pay hosting fees and keep our equipment up to date. Uh, big shouts out to everyone out there, all you funky little creatures out there. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Do to the Monster Mash. Shout out to my friend Emily and Emily's mom, who just really loves the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, Hell yeah, Emily's mom. Yeah, we. Uh, I was thinking about y'all the entire time I was watching this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to go fuck a fish. Bye. Okay. okay. Have fun with that. I thought you um, said he, you rescheduled for Tuesday. Uh, he said you up. <laughs> oh, I see. I, I yeah, bo booty calls. I see. <laughs> booty okay. Call. Well, have fun, everybody. Um, engage in safe sex with your fish man, <laughs> and may your nightmares be plentiful. I'll bring in that. I don't know what that was. That was me underwater. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>